0: Hey there, you're listening to the Anti-Failure Podcast. Today's guest is a startup founder, Tim Mullen. Tim is the founder and CEO of online real estate finance broker, Possible, co-founder of employee well-being and performance software, Helix, director of St. Alouan Investments, and the host of Science of Us Podcast. Welcome, Tim, and thanks for taking your time to join us. Thank you. You've certainly got an interesting background and some fantastic ventures. Could you give our listeners a bit of background on your journey and what inspired you to become an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think either, I—it's as you read all those out, it makes me sound like I can't keep attention um, either, for, either very well. But, um, look, I got into this, I guess, my background before, uh, getting into startups was uh, corporate, so I was communications originally. I did a stint um, sort of here in agencies, then went overseas, came back, was working for one of the big banks, uh, and I just got a bit over all of the corporate bureaucracy that goes yep. with working in a big organisation. And uh, we had been getting involved under St. Al-Awan in startup investments, probably since I think it was twenty thirteen or twenty twelve, and. I just got a bit of a taste for it then while I was still at CBA. And then, yeah, made the jump in uh, 2015 and haven't looked back, to be honest. And I had a chat with somebody else, literally, I think it was today or yesterday, just about the same thing where they'd left a corporate and couldn't stand it. And they've moved into startups and they're doing all sorts of stuff as well. And they just get so much fulfillment from it rather than anything else. Fantastic.
0: One of the things I admire most is that to take that first step, you have to really have some courage and, and a willingness to back yourself can you talk about how that transition happened
1: for you and and what you learned out of following that passion if you like i think back to when i was at cba and we had a long chat i think even with my my fiance now wife We were talking about, again, what are the risks, what are the rewards? I had a lot of chats with other people that I knew who'd maybe done similar things. And there was one in particular, Richie, I'll give you a shout out. And I remember being on a train, talking to him, saying, I just don't know, is this the right thing? It's scary, all the rest of it. And he said, I promise you, once you do it, you'll never look back and then you'll think, how was I even doing what I was doing for so long before uh, I think at the time, look, it was probably a bit easier. I've got two kids now, a lot of other responsibilities. Um, then I was you know, relatively single, didn't have huge financial expenses behind me. So it made the decision easy. And I went from a well-paid corporate salary to a fraction of what I was earning. Um, but I suppose that actually builds somewhat of resilience in you because you kind of get used to it. And since that time, I've, I've fluctuated up and down in terms of, of salaries. I mean, I've gone long, long periods still without actually drawing anything uh, from one particular venture. And then I have to look at how I make ends meet in other ways. But I think that that's part of the challenge. I've, I've spoken to other founders and we always say the same thing. We're like, why, why do we do this? We get, we're so stressed all the time. One of the most challenging things we can do, we could just go and get a cushy, easy job. Why don't we just go back and do that? And they say because we'd probably go back and then find ourselves getting, trying to get out again, because that's just fundamentally who we are now.
0: There's something inside of you that spoke to you. There was a passion. There was something that. Yep. And. That then manifests itself into either a vision or a product or, or something that you think you've got that you can take to market. Can you think of a time where you were talking to people about what it was you were looking to do and they perhaps didn't give
1: you the positive feedback that you were filled with? I mean, yeah, picking one example, because I hear it all the time and I still continue to hear it. That's one of the big challenges with anything that you're trying to build. My personality, my behavior, makeup fundamentally is about new experiences, and, and I think that's why I like to build. I'm probably more creative than I am anything else. I like to make stupid Instagram videos. I like to. I, I was going to try out for acting school when I was younger, leaving school, and I was convinced to go to university. I now look back and think, should I have done that? But I think that's how it manifests now in the business building and the creation side of things. I've also been lucky to move in and out of particularly customer-facing roles and then more heavily into product. That's probably my biggest speciality. And I think you'll just have to get used to having people rip you apart when it comes to, to showing you different things. It's, it's part, part of, of the process. Game. In your journey starting out with Helix, can you think of some of those
0: early failures that they really hit you hard in the gut, forced you to look at something differently? Or what, what came out of those early failures of, of
1: that journey? So, so Helix used to be called Job Vibes. It was a different company before that, and it became Helix as it, it moved on to a new owner. But the biggest thing there, that was one of my first ventures where everything was completely new. Everything was really scary. I think for that, we were at the stage of trying to get that elusive product market fit. And I think so many companies are still trying to do it. The, probably the most disheartening thing is that when you're, you just feel like you're banging your head against a wall when you're trying to get something to work and you know, it has huge potential to help people in all sorts of different ways. And I think that that will always apply to anything that you want to do in life because you're never going to find that fit straight away. The companies that do find product market fit and have all this success, you know, there's there's one that I was listening to the other day that's done $100 million ARR in two years. And look, those ones are few and far between. And you don't know the really the full story behind how they got there. I think for a lot of people, they start with one or two people I was then hearing that this company has 30 people in the product team alone. So it's sort of like, well, obviously, maybe a little bit different to the standard whole business. So, But I think that you just got to keep pushing on with anything whenever you hear that sort of negative feedback. And whenever you get faced with a big challenge that's, that's quite overwhelming. I think of another one that just comes to my head. We were backing another company and we put a fair bit of capital into it. And that one uh, actually got into the point of having to go into voluntary administration. So we were we were more backers rather than being in the business. But that was a big hit to me personally, because I was the one that had recommended that deal. Okay. And that was something that was quite hard to build back from, because it really shook my confidence in terms of, you just think, oh, that's all my fault. I've done this. But I think that the crux to that is putting your growth mindset hat on and sort of saying, you've got to learn from what's just happened. And we've had many successes after that in terms of companies we've backed that have gone really, really well. So... That stuff always teaches you something. And you, do you remember any of the, the the points or the things that you reinforced in yourself to pull out of that hole? It's an interesting question because I still go through that every day now. When you're building a business, it's like what what is success? What does success actually look like? How do I label it? How do I know when I get there? How do I know like I know know when I'm there and I'm sitting there that that's actually what I set out to achieve? I think everybody chases this elusive thing of what success actually looks like and you know my wife she has to hear a lot of this stuff all the time when i'm struggling and i'm thinking that i'm just i'm not where i want to be i'm not doing what i want to do i'm not not achieving what i want to achieve i think being kind to yourself is probably an important aspect of it because get off your own bro. yeah i think that if you've got enough else going on there's no point having a go at yourself as well and sort of drilling yourself into the ground because the only way you're going to get out of it and move on to something better is by actually, as I said, putting that growth mindset hat on and saying, what can I learn from it? How can I move on? How can I make sure I don't do that again? And what else can I take out of it to apply then to create some sort of success in the future?
0: Yeah, and I think you said something else that's quite interesting to me is that it's still something you carry today. It's not like you can say, I'm done with that failure Yeah, and it'll never impact me again. But now when you're going into new opportunities, those elements of your learnings are still there and still guide you to try and avoid that risk of that sort of failure
1: again. Absolutely. I think the point with, with failure is you can kind of think back to all these things and, oh, it's the benefit of hindsight, right? You know, if I could have, if I could go back in time. I'd change it. But despite that, I don't know, many of the times I run that exercise through in my head and I then think about it and say, I probably wouldn't change anything because if I hadn't gone through it, if I hadn't failed, then I wouldn't have learned. Then I'd be back at square one anyway. And I wouldn't know what to apply to the next time I actually tried to solve a problem or whatever it might be. So I think always reminding of yourself of the things that you've gone through and kind of rerunning the scenarios in your head to say, well, what did I learn through that? Okay, great. Am I repeating it again? How can I avoid that? All of that stuff continues to stay with you.
0: One of the things that I think about in terms of failure is if I had have known that this was the outcome of the decision I was making at that point in time, I would make a different decision. The reality of small business is you don't have a perfect data set no. from which to make a perfect decision. So it's taking those lessons and using those lessons to help you make better decisions in the future. And, and that's, I think part of the entrepreneurial spirit of how small business owners step in back themselves and course correct. Yeah. And that's really all business is, is the opportunity to take today's failure to think about what steps do I take forward
1: to the next success? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you think back to what you learned at uni, right? So you sit at university, you learn through all the textbooks. And I remember I was studying PR and communications. We did all these textbooks and what they then said was practical exams. I remember sitting down when I got a job, the first day on the job, and I was thinking, what is this? This has nothing to do with what I've learned at university. Right. So much of what you get is by actually living and breathing the experience. So I think if you're not doing that and you're just continually postulating and thinking about this and that and not actually getting your hands dirty, you're going to miss a bit of a trick because everything in theory is great, but practical is very different.
0: Well, and your learning is going to be different from someone else's learning in failure, but the skill set or the tool set to be able to help bounce back from those failures to get back on the road to success is, is what I'm really interested in about learning more of how do we apply that in different circumstances? Can you think of any of the drivers that you use or the tools that you use to help
1: you on the road to success? And and how do you define this success? Oh, I think as I was saying, look, defining success is actually really hard. I think success for a lot of small business owners, I think we need to have a bit of a rethink about what it actually is in general because we've been very much mired by the likes of all these really fancy tech startups think of the elon musks elon Musk I mean, even locally like the, the canvas and stuff like yeah. that who have created billion dollar businesses i mean yeah. safety culture is another one like atlassian atlassian look credit to those guys they've created absolutely incredible businesses i'm a huge fan of canva i think it's one of the best tools i've ever used and a credit to how they've executed on their plan but i think that what can be dangerous for a lot of people is they start to think that billion dollar valuation you know unless i've done something that's created a unicorn then I'm not really successful. But the reality is I start thinking about this and I talk to a lot of people in the founder space or the startup space or small business space. And a lot of what we have started to say that we believe is success is a business that just... It does well, it's a profitable business. It allows you to have a lifestyle, go and have time with your kids or whatever else you wanna do, which I know it can be hard when you're 24 seven thinking about your business, but that's another topic altogether. But I think that when you're getting to a point where you don't have to have some business that is doing millions and millions of dollars in revenue and has a billion dollar valuation, it's just about, do you enjoy what you do? Does it pay for your lifestyle? I mean, then you've achieved success. I think about my my father-in-law. I think he is one of the true definitions of success for me. He built a business that did well. And he, he had an exit for that. We're not talking like a a billion dollar exit, but he did well. And he is one of the happiest people that I know in the sense of how he lives his life. It's never about wanting more and, and sort of saying, well, I, you know, I could have done this and I could have done that. He's content with how well he's done. I think he's done phenomenally well to build the business that he had, to exit at a really good time. And now to truly enjoy life, as opposed to constantly chasing something that you think is there, but you don't know where it is and you can't put your hands on it.
0: I I think that's a a really key point because, you know, in the movie pursuit of happiness yeah. it wasn't about selling sewing machines it was about the journey to getting to a point of sustainability and whatever that looks like and there's so many ways we could judge success in small business it's the number of people employed the cut clients that we serve the product that we take to market i think it's a personal thing in terms of success and how we measure that on our own yardstick for me to give the criteria for success makes no sense at all you mentioned earlier you wanted to escape the stifled environment or, or culture of the big business have you done things in your businesses that are a direct response to that environment that you didn't want?
1: Yeah. So this is really interesting, right? On a podcast I'm on with a neuroscientist called Katarina Kuhn. She's a founder of her own company called DeepSphere, which is an incredible behavioral profiling tool. And I get a lot of passion out of sort of talking with her on that and, and delving into it. You know, we talked about on that vision and values, for example. Um, and how a lot of small businesses, in my opinion, you don't really get time for it. A lot of the vision of the values are almost created symbiotically in terms of the people that you bring on, And, and because most of the time they're aligning to the person that's created the business because they're coming along for that vision. They like the individual. But I do think vision values is really, really important to actually sit down to document, to go, what are we actually trying to achieve here as a collective, and what do we hold true, whether you call it values, principles, whatever it might be, but the stuff that drives you to be where you are, I could not recommend that probably more highly. We did it with My Business Possible. We did that at the start, but again, I'm lucky there in that the, the co-founders that came and, and joined on the journey, we share a lot of those same principles anyway. And that's, again, they, they're different skill sets and they're different people, but yep. we've got a fundamental underlying code that sort of connects us. And I think that you want to move to your other point around what else you try and instill when you're leaving a corporate environment. It's all about autonomy. For me, autonomy is one of the biggest things that you want to make people who come into your business feel like they're helping shape this with you. It's not just your journey. And the reality is that whenever you bring somebody on or multiple people on, they're the ones that are actually helping you build the business. You cannot put your hand up and say, it was just me, no. nobody else. You may be able to help set the vision and the strategy and everything else, but you're not the one that's going to help execute and bring everything to life by yourself. So I think that's a really big part of any business that you want to bring to it is that sense of autonomy, and shared ownership in what you want to do. It's a really important point. I can think of many times
0: in my career where I felt like I was working in a toxic environment that was driven by self-interest agendas. At Aritex, we really try to embrace the individual and have them step into their role and help us on the journey. You mentioned earlier, it's hard to find the distinction between personal and business when you're knee-deep or head-deep running a business. Do you have any Tools or things that you use to try and separate the two so that you're not bringing the failures from work to home or or the other way around?
1: That's a very good question. And half my challenge is we're a remote business. I often will come straight from my desk and then 10 seconds later, I'm at the dinner table with the kids trying to change context. Right. (laughs) Too bad to to put all that stuff behind me. I'm a big um, fan of his and, and we've been lucky to do some work over the years together guy called Dr. Adam Fraser, and I don't know if you've read his book called The Third Space. No. But it's it's all about creating this kind of separation between you're at point A and you kind of need to get to point C. There'll be a point B in the middle that you need to go through and effectively transition from that point A to that point C by going through the, the point B. So you can kind of dezone zone and, and take it away. I think I've just had to get, probably because of the current environment where you are working remote and you, yep. and you don't have a choice of, you know, there are some simple things you can go outside, walk around the block, and clear your head and i think for those people that that are commuting a lot still obviously that's a great one because the commute you can listen to podcasts you can do all that sort of stuff there's just stuff you can do in your own head where you just sort of say it's kind of like putting stuff in in a box i don't know people will say all psychologically that's not great because you're sort of putting stuff in pandora's box is going to blow up later I don't think that's what I'm saying, but I'm thinking you need to compartmentalize stuff. Even within the working business days, you would full well know you'll have maybe a team member coming over and causing a crisis for you there because they're really unhappy about something. Then you've got a customer that's shouting at you. Then your strategy's not working, like whatever it might be. I think you've got to, if you can compartmentalize stuff, you can keep a clear mind on what you're doing then and there. It doesn't mean that you can't bring bits and pieces out of it to apply with what you're doing right now, but I think that it does mean that you can... With much clearer thought, get on with what you need to get on with in that present moment, and it's all about presence, right? I mean, the reality is, you go and sit down with your kids at the dinner table, and I go again. If Jack listens to this, she probably won't because she's not interested in any of my stuff. Um, no, that's really harsh. But um, if she, you know, if I sit down at the dinner table, she she has a go at me because I've got my phone. Like that's one of the big things: put your phone in another room. I'm trying to get better at it. It's very hard as a business owner because you're always wanting to know what's on, and if it's not that, you're getting hassled by something else. The removal of technology, even for short periods of time, particularly those those really amazing periods of time when you get with your family, super important. Some of the most interesting things about these discussions is that I can
0: relate to that. I'm a servant to my clients, but my phone yeah. is the medium to which I do that, yeah. and that impacts my relationship with Jen because yeah. I'm attached to it. I don't want the client sending me something and I've missed it. So that's, yeah, exactly. it's managing this fear inside of me of
1: letting the client down, but that's impacting my relationships. It's funny, right? Because one of the things that as a business now that we have really adopted and I'm, and I'm trying to actually adopt it more broadly is that I can't remember where the saying came from, but if you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Like realistically, like I try and do multiple things and, and get through stuff. But if you are committing to something, if you are saying yes to something you're doing it properly, you do have to say no to something else. And it's being comfortable with that. It's being comfortable being uncomfortable is what can get you through that stuff as well.
0: So in your journey on creating businesses, executing a vision, how do you manage the
1: access to information to make good decisions? Good question. I think that the, I'm going to say that one of the biggest things that I think everybody who's in business knows this is that luck plays such a huge role huge role, luck and timing I luck and timing absolutely like literally those two things govern so much you can have the best laid plan you can have the what you think is the the wave that you're riding whatever if you're just out by millimeters or just seconds or however you want to talk about it in terms of the timing that you're you just miss out on this one piece of luck then that can be the complete separation between failure and success or even just sort of middle town or whatever it might be again coming from a product background and, and customer We will try and obviously do as much research as we can in talking to the customers to really get under the skin and understand what they want to do, what they want to achieve, like all the nuances of the feedback you get. You can then look at the market, the trends, all the information, all the rest of it I've been through in the, in the past, another business where all the modeling, everything looked great. Lined like, up perfectly. This is going to yep. make us. Yep. Yep. And it's like, even if you don't get to the absolute top, the worst if case. if I did scenario, 5% of my best case modeling, yep. we're going to be a huge success. Exactly. Mm. And, and the reality is that that didn't happen. And again, luck was a huge part in that, luck and timing. Yep. There, are, there were a few other players that just literally got lucky. We're talking about sort of six, to, three to six months that, that something happened to them. And I think you'll hear a lot of the other big companies and I've I've listened to a few of them recently, like some of the other, I won't name it because I don't know if it was chat mouse rules, the stuff that we're in, but one of them said, you know, he's built a billion dollar business, for example. Mm -hmm. And he said specifically that a lot of where he got to now was completely predicated on luck. They they try a heap of things. They just go, let's just give it a go. And we'll throw, he's probably being a bit humble as well, but he said, we throw all this sort of stuff at the wall and we just got lucky that a lot of it actually worked. Now, yes, can that be well informed by research and everything else at the back? Absolutely, you can't just do it absolutely blind. Stuff like that may happen, but that'll be very few and far between. To help de-risk and to get to that point where if you get luck, it's going to go. You need to obviously understand all of the fundamentals behind. To what then execute exactly and take advantage of
0: that luck. And I think luck is something that's not you can't model it. You can't say here are the three angles that are going to bring me together. Yeah, exactly. The lucky, the lucky route. So as a small business owner or someone who's been through the process of idea, creation, execution, and exit, whatever that looks like, how were you, or what did you rely on in terms of financial information to
1: make the decisions to course correct or to evaluate performance? Well, I think that the fundamental one is obviously cash flow mm-hmm. plays you know, yeah. the biggest role. I was just chatting to another startup founder who, you know, I was asking, Oh, how did your, your other venture go? And he said, well, just it ran out of cash. So unfortunately that was just the way it is. And again, That was cruel because they were going out for a fundraiser at a time when other market forces had a big impact on their business. Nothing to do with them. They had a really solid business behind it, Mm -hmm. but other market stuff just, just impacted on them. There's so much that goes into this. It's hard to know when to start, when to stop.
0: Yeah, when I work with small business owners, my challenge to them is to think about what are the three or four drivers of your business. That's what we need to measure. And once we start to hone in on measuring that, then your ability to make informed decisions to take advantage of the opportunity or the investment you've made to date becomes not
1: easier, but it becomes more aligned with the direction that you take the business. And I suppose it depends on what industry you're in as well. So like back to your question about the financial pieces. So if you're in a B2B sort of SaaS play, right, you're looking at everything from, you know, cost of acquisition, CAC, because that's always the big figure that everybody looks at, your lifetime value. There's been arguments to say that now a lot of that actually doesn't make sense. There should be a different way of putting all costs in and then working out what the profit is after all of the cost to serve the customer and all that kind of stuff as well. You could be a more traditional based on margin, whether it's finance like we are in Possible and looking at the gross margins that you've got out of the deals you can do and then therefore how big the market is you can go after and how much volume you need to effectively create a sustainable business. It, so it really depends on what type of business you are. And I think to you said, if you then look at those three North Stars, I mean, for us, you know, revenue is always huge. We're definitely not of the ilk of tech startups that talks about what's just growth at all costs and don't worry about anything else. You know, for us, we've always been very much predicated on how do you get up that revenue each month to make sure that you are moving to a very profitable position as fast as you can. Now growth is of course very important alongside that, but then you have to manage that with your costs as well because often with growth, as we know, cost comes. And if you are adding piling on more and more cost, well then that's gonna erode all of your margins and then it doesn't matter. You can be one of these. I mean, like look at Uber, for example. Uber only just became profitable, when was it, last month or the month before or whatever it was. That's a company that does billions of dollars. Of it has
0: billions of dollars of value. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And, and I like to think of a basic measure that I want to have more cash in my bank account at the end of the month than I had at the beginning of the month. So if we can if we can break it down into some of the fundamentals, cash for me is king, Absolutely. and pauper. Now, that doesn't mean we've got to make more cash what we've spent but we somehow have
1: to fund our expenses to the point where we've still got reserves at the end of the month. And I think a lot of small businesses out there will feel the same, is that every time payday comes around, it's always stressful. Even if you've got enough money, it's still stressful because there's money going out the door that you you just have to account for. You raise a really interesting point, and I talk to a lot of people about this. The only person that understands
0: the pressure that comes with running a business is that person running that business. Yeah. You're the one at 2 in the morning going, this is a client's got an email to me. I better read it. You know, I've got payroll
1: tomorrow. How am I going to fund it? The balance of those things. Whenever those moments come around, it's completely different from an employee sitting there who's waiting for that paycheck to come through. They don't think about anything that happens on the other side of what goes through to make that happen. And I think the other point that I wanted to make back to your comment around how much cash do I have in the bank at the end of the day. As a small business owner, I said, you don't need to be a billionaire. But if you're sitting there and you've got a good chunk of cash that, you know, can then fund lifestyle, it can help with your kids, whatever it might be. I mean, that's success to me. You don't need to worry about, oh, I'm, I'm on the front page of the AFR every day. I mean, who cares? That's not freedom either. But it's personal. Success is... Yeah, it's absolutely. Some people are completely driven by... And again, this kind of with my sort of the behavioral profiling hat on. People are always made up of very different things. If you're very high in, in rank, for example, you are going to be very, very motivated by different things as someone who's high in play because they just want to go and enjoy themselves and it's nothing, you know, it's not about anything else. But
0: isn't that job as business leaders or as leaders in general to identify to those things that are going to motivate people that we're working with to bring their best? Absolutely. There's no point me giving a framework to, or the same framework to all of the people on the team. Um, it's, It's about, my job is about finding where their strengths are and aligning the opportunities with those strengths or that skill and desire and experience, how do I give them an opportunity to chase those three in their dreams? That's a big part of the reward that I get leading a team of people is thinking about it. How do we give them the opportunity to chase their dreams much like I'm chasing mine as the leader of the business?
1: Totally. And I think that comes back to the accountability point that I was making before and that ownership, that if people get to shape themselves and their skills, because if you identify that strength and you can then really see someone flourish and grow. I've always taken the most enjoyment out of that. Look, don't get me wrong. I don't like managing people. It's yeah. not not one of my favorite things to do. Sure. But whenever I do have to do it, I'm more focused on ensuring that that person has a good experience. Most importantly, they develop and grow. You know, some people will stay with you. you know, it depends on what you're doing. If you've got a co-founder or whatever, you hope that they will stay with you for the long run. But in other capacities, I know that we've had people come on board and, and I know they won't stay there forever, but if you can make them get to a point that they can learn and grow and develop and have got great skills they can then go out and achieve. I mean, that's so much reward I think you get in that. That's success for
0: you. Yeah. So we start creating win-wins. And I think about some of the performance appraisals I've had in my career where my manager says, okay, you did that well, but we've got to work on your weakness. And do you know how many weaknesses they were able to solve of mine? None. It's not something that I'm capable of changing, even if I know it's there.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to understanding who they are at that most fundamental level who someone is, what are they really motivated by at that that deeper subconscious level that they often don't even know themselves most of the time, but then even understanding what are their values, what matters to them. Are they going to be someone that wants to have achievement the whole time? And if they want to have achievement the whole time, well, then what are you going to do to help them feel like they're achieving the whole time, particularly in small business, even when that's not going to happen all the time, when it's going to be, it's tough, you know, you're all in the trenches, things may be really, really challenging. How do you keep someone motivated who has to see achievement every day? Can you think of times where you've overcome an external force that's created failure? The market forces and external forces, whatever it might be, can always be a bit easier to say, well, it doesn't matter what I would have done, we would have been screwed anyway. Again, though, even despite that, there are certain things that you can understand and learn off the back of it. Like, for example, if you look at anybody who's been out there trying to raise money will understand that. Last year, everything fell off a cliff at the beginning of the year. Everybody pre to that was like, just have as much money as you want. Any idea will get funded, whatever it might be. And then everything fell off a cliff. That's something that's very hard to control as you as an individual, but a lot of us knew it was coming. So you make the associated changes within your business to make sure you can then survive through that. I think a lot of small business is about that proactive management measurement of looking at things that they're coming like right now, let's be honest. SMEs and um, just small business in general, insolvencies are on the rise. Like a lot of stuff is happening. It's, it's not an easy market out there at all because of a result of funding, all the rest of it, like interest rates going up, spending being pulled back. If you saw the latest figures today, it was, um, I think, retail in particular and, and micro businesses are getting absolutely hammered. The insolvencies are going up at a rate of knots. So I think as, as a small business right now, it needs to be thinking about cost management and control. You always need to be as lean as possible. I mean, that's, I think, the number one rule of- Preserve cash. Preserve cash. Make sure that you can still do all the things that you need to do and you're not just sitting there in idle, sort of just surviving. And again, if you're in that position, you can easily dial up. But if you're at a point where you can't dial down to a, a place where they can actually be sustainable, again, there's a whole debate that goes on about that with a number of, particularly venture capital, but they say, well, it's all predicated on getting to scale quickly because once you're at that scale, then no one can touch you. It's like well that's fine if you've got access to millions and millions and millions of dollars but that's not always going to happen to be honest most of the time that won't happen well we can think of some examples where it didn't kodak blockbuster they all sat
0: on their successful business model and they were disrupted i mean in my space myob was challenged by zero it's never so good that you don't have to evaluate the environment you're working in the competitive space and the other things that are happening in the in the market around you uh, and making decisions accordingly You've got an interesting combination of both, you've been there, you've done it, and now you are sitting investing in opportunities. Are there things that you apply when you're making an investment based on the failures you had as a business?
1: I think the benefit that we have of being on both sides of the table is you know the fundamentals of what you try to look for in an individual, because at the end of the day, and it's boring because it's always repeated, but the number one thing you're backing when you're backing a business is people, because... Mm -hmm. The original idea won't be what the idea is that probably makes the money in the end of the day. And I can think of a number of companies that we're lucky to work with now where I've sat down and talked to the founder and the the initial concept that they had is not what they're doing today at all. It's actually completely different because the reality is you're constantly pivoting. Your business changing. is pivoting. Exactly. It, it, any business has to pivot.
0: Otherwise, you're not making the best decision based on the data that you've got available. Exactly right. Do you ever look to outsource some of the key elements of your business, whether it be, in my case, accounting? Are there parts of businesses that you think are well suited towards outsourcing? And what sort of success or failures have you had in relation to
1: anything you've outsourced? Being honest, accounting is definitely one of them. So, you know, we're lucky to have a, a bookkeeper internally that helps things, but everything in terms of your BAS or your, your returns or R&D or whatever it might be, you look to the people who do that day in, day out, because as a small business, you don't have the capacity to bring that on. Marketing is another one. Finding the right marketing partner is a real challenge. We've had a lot of disasters along the way. you got to find the people that really stand out and can help you along with that business. It's any of those kind of services where you just don't have the skills or the time yourself because you're, you're too focused on doing something else. Often I see small business owners go in because they've got a passion or they want
0: to escape the environment you were talking about earlier and they end up as a byproduct of that having to do the bookkeeping or the accounting late at night. And so it's taking away, and whether you value time in terms of cost or opportunity cost of spending that time, the reality is you're in business because you've got something that's calling you out to take to market. The idea of putting tasks with people that will help you scale. You can't afford a full-time CFO, so how do you find an outsourced solution that brings that level of expertise on a pro rata basis or marketing or legal or some of those other things. So yeah. that, that allows you to focus on doing what you're intending to do, building a business and and working with
1: the team who you do want full-time in the business. Yeah. Legal is another big one. Spent a fair few dollars on legal in the past, but I think that it's that kind of compliance thing as well, right? It's the stuff that as a small business, your main focus is how do I make this work? How do I make more sales come through the door? And i keep everybody happy in the process of doing that. Obviously a few other things as well. But if you have someone that you know that can just look after that and it's just peace of mind, it's worth spending the dollars. Like I've been there where you can try and do it yourself. And I'll tell you that the stuff that you try and do yourself when you try and cut corners, all that kind of stuff, like definitely there's always a component of stuff that you can do yourself. But when it comes to the the bigger decisions, look to those people who know the space inside and out because they'll get you a better result every time.
0: You want to put people on the task that they can learn 100% of and do it 100% accurately every single time. Yeah. And that's what I think outsourcing is to small business. It it not only provides the opportunity to access expertise that you can't necessarily afford on a full-time basis, but it can scale up and down. You don't have to go through a long and legal process to terminate me as an outsourcer. Whereas if we've got an employee, you've got all of the regulations. So your ability to be flexible and react to the market forces that you can't necessarily control... Yeah. When you've outsourced some of the non-business driver activities in your business, I mean, let's face it, good financial information is very valuable, Yeah, but it's not what's going to drive success necessarily. Yeah, You don't want it being a negotiating point in your exit because yeah. your books are all not up to date, but it can only pull back value. It can't necessarily increase value. What's going to increase value is why are you doing it? What product market can you address? And and those are the things I think where. are Entrepreneurs and business
1: leaders are better off spending their time. Absolutely. Then that word, you just said agility as well. Like that is what small business is all about. So if you can achieve that agility by having the right partners around you, I just think it's a no brainer. Why would, why would you not do it? Can you think of one
0: example of a failure that is now ingrained in your DNA that you will
1: never let happen again? I think I can probably more talk to the combination of everything. Some of the stuff that you, you get out of this stuff is that you have to act fast. Now there's this notion of fail fast. And I think I've got a love hate relationship with that because on a cost side of things, it makes total sense. You fail fast, but I think where people can kind of get confused is it doesn't necessarily mean shutting your entire business down. It just means where's the next pivot. You've tried something, it's not working, move on to the next thing. So you're not sitting back and going, I've just spent all this money. I still have nothing to kind of show for it. So I think moving fast in this kind of general terms of making sure that you are just really brutal in terms of where you are right now, but still mixing that with the right element of grit and perseverance because i think that too many people will just go oh that's done i'm moving away from it can't be bothered anymore the reality is that you just need to be really really attuned to just not not blindly sticking with stuff that you know hasn't worked when you've tried it but it doesn't mean you have to shut an entire business down just quickly move on to another idea and just start trying that to see what you can get to as well so it's just trying as many things as quickly as you can until you get that boost moment when something starts to take. There's a
0: gut instinct. There's something that doesn't feel right when there's perhaps data or feedback or that things are not going quite the way we wanted to execute, and I think it's, balancing that gut instinct that says i need to pay attention i don't need to stick my head in the sand i need to pay attention so that i can then make the next decision to step forward again it's not that what i've got is bad or wrong or it's going to fail it's recognizing and being truthful about it so that then you can course correct or pivot and take the next step forward
1: exactly you know you're in a big business i go back to that example the number of people that get carried through big businesses and where things kind of truck along they're not really doing it's just being. I think with small business, everything is so binary. You make it or you fail. And I mean, that's one of the biggest things that we could talk about at great length is that it's really tough for a small business owner to kind of compare with someone who's sitting in a, in a salary job. For them, it's more down to, did you do a good job? Oh yeah, look, it was okay, but it's all right. You still get paid at the end of the day. It's really right. like, you know, for people that then go through a series of just having their own businesses, you become almost unemployable again because it's like, well, show me your CV. Well, I've had this many failures. Oh, great. So it's pretty binary. Like you just didn't do a good job. But then like behind that, yes, of course, there's amazing work that's been done and whatever happened happened for a multitude of reasons. And I think that that's, it's just, it's so difficult with small business because of that binary nature of like you fail or you survive. There's nothing in between. Yes. (laughs) I think, uh,
0: It would be fair to say that a big driver for me is that fear of failure. So I use that in a way that helps me take the next step and say, you know what? There is no such thing as complete failure. I've never failed. I may have had a failure, but I'm 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 on a journey that as long as I learn and then we take another step forward. I think that's the key for me in terms of what
1: failure offers. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I'll have absolutely disheartening moments all the time where you question yourself and just say, All I am is failure, I haven't done this. So when you know we're in that moment, who who or what do you call on? It's tough. I think you you often can't talk to anybody really about it. You have to talk to yourself because most people don't either want to hear it or they don't understand. What I have done in the past that we're talking about just before we started recording was I have luckily a network now of friends who also happen to run their own businesses and you can you can chat to them all the time about stuff and they get it and that's again why we're going to do this other podcast for the exact same reason you do have people out there who get it but unless you actually meet them and then can have a little network around it it's really difficult because you just think you're just completely alone the entire time and then you but then you talk to someone go oh wow you've you've had that too okay that sounds familiar i did that or had that last week or the
0: opportunity of of sharing those experiences. That, that's what this is all about is, is giving you the opportunity to share with us and the audience, your experiences
1: so that perhaps some, somebody resonates and say, oh, okay, that's what I can do. Yeah. And I think I'd definitely say find someone that you can talk to because just verbalizing stuff is so important because it, otherwise it is really isolating unless you are strong enough mentally to come up with the tools to work through it. As I said, biggest thing that will get you through that is the growth mindset about saying, Okay, I failed, but like, let's actually just almost workshop it now and learn what did I learn out of that. How, did, how can I improve for next time? And also thank you for that opportunity to actually learn what I've just learned because I wouldn't have learned it otherwise. And now if somebody else comes and asks me, oh, I'm thinking about doing this, you're like, whoa, don't do that because I've just experienced it. Then you're actually going to inadvertently help somebody else. So I think that that's, there's so much stuff that comes from that, but try and find someone that you can talk to to share the experiences and just get it off your chest.
0: When I'm in that moment of fear of failure or there has been a failure, do you have any ways that you manage
1: that leaking into the way that you're taking the next step with your team? Don't dwell, don't let yourself get consumed because it's a human trait to focus on the negative and you can very easily let yourself go down that path. And then you've got to remember, you've got to then bring yourself back out of it. So the most you, you can just keep yourself at the top. My wife has actually taught me this is really, really great thing where she said something comes in, you know, it's the typical saying of water off a duck's back, but it's like that Teflon piece where you just go, okay, straight out. Like it's not going to do me any favors to keep focusing on this right now. So why, why would I do it? Yep. In the context of your companies where you've made an investment, you see
0: the potential for failure. Do you counsel, coach, work with, how, how do you get your investee companies to identify to that potential failure or,
1: or try and help them when you've seen a failure oh look i think a lot of the people that we work with are very smart individuals and i mean who am i to comment anyway it's not like i'm a a life coach or anything like that so i kind of feel a bit you don't want to teach people how to suck eggs um because a lot they of the time you're your just they, yeah it's like i think you can only just talk about your own experiences with them and just yeah. share and if they come to you proactively, because it's hard because you, if you're investing in somebody, it depends on what level and at what extent, uh, you know, unless you're sitting on the board, unless you're seeing yep. people day in and day out, you're going to know the founder really well, but you're not going to know the rest of the business. But it's so as long as you pick that lead person or the one or two or three are the right people with the right dynamics, you know, that they're going to be able to handle whatever comes their way. Could try and just give advice to companies as well, where that's like, I'm not, I don't draw any salary from where I don't have any equity in it. I just like to help people. Cause I think that's the thing with that's small the- businesses, like whatever you can do to help others, the more you can just share and the more you can give and the more you can always be available for somebody else. I think that's the most important thing. Cause you want, you want them to survive. You want them to grow and thrive. Yep. I think it's a willingness to share. So I was listening to the podcast
0: with you and Kat, and you talk a lot about the people that you have on the journey with you and how important those decisions are to be with people. Can you share an example of where you made the wrong, you don't have to share names or anything, but you made the wrong call on the wrong person in the wrong role and what you did to help fix that problem?
1: Hiring is such a critical component of what you go through. I love that message. Mm-hmm. This will both talk about that. It really is the people you have on the bus. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. And if, if you have the wrong person, it can be hugely damaging to culture, to the business itself in terms of business performance. Absolutely there's probably two categories the first one is you're going to know pretty quickly right so you're going to know that that person is not the right fit it was a mistake and you need to to yeah. change things up then i guess from that point of view it's how else would you move I guess somebody on from the business that's not the right fit again there's probably two things there though are they actually better suited to another role and another type of responsibility in your business and that's the thing that i would probably default to first is to say like Well, how do you make sure that someone actually is in their strength you know your point earlier about strengths but of course if they're not the right person then it's about open and honest conversations with that person to make sure that they can find the thing that they need to find so that they're in the best position again because like nobody it's it's never a nice thing to have to do to get rid of people from the business but i think it's really important that you can just do everything you possibly can to look after that person to get them on again it's not always going to be possible i understand that it's not always going to be something you can do but the other ones, the more dangerous ones are the are ones where you think the person is the right fit and they've been with you for a while and they've done probably all the right things to make you believe that, you know, oh, it's great and they're, they're doing stuff. I think as soon as you start to notice stuff though, that's not right. Putting it up the inevitable fit, decision is not fair on them and it's not fair on you.
0: Exactly. So, so having that open and honest conversation and in my experience, trying to find that opportunity to allow them to maintain... Their integrity and to understand that it's not about them as a person it's about the mismatch of
1: the business requirements and the skill set yeah absolutely and i think look you would, you would hope that the other person has the maturity to go through that and to be good about it and unfortunately a lot of people aren't you have to think about when, no, when because it's it's hurtful right because it's right. like it's it's kind of coming back to our commentary before around failure and success with small business and like when you have a failure personally you take it it's like, yeah, it's all on you it's like You're talking about someone fundamentally of like, you haven't done well, you haven't done this, you haven't done that. It's not a nice thing. That's why I think wherever you can do it is to help that person move on to something that they're better suited on because it's always going to be a better outcome for every party. And again, it's not always going to be possible. I understand that. And there can be some really ugly things that you have to go through, which is unfortunate. But I think that if you come at it with the right lens, yes, I'm doing this for the business because again, that's why we're running business why we're doing it. That's why that person isn't doing it. So you have to come up for that lens, but always come at it from a human aspect as well and not be someone who just deliberately tries to screw someone over.
0: What I hear in that feedback is the principles are the same, whether it's people or it's cost. Now the context or the frame of reference we use in those positions, but identify it early, make the decision quickly. Because if you let people who are a mismatch stay longer, the
1: damage or the risk of damage increases the longer the time goes on. And it's also a fact of, so they'll damage the culture, as I said, which will be a big one. They'll damage your ability to do everything from sales or manage customers or whatever else it might be. But it also it's going to be a really difficult conversation for you at the end because mm-hmm. it's kind of this thing that you have just let fester and fester and fester and fester. Whereas if you just picked it up way back here, it's going to be so much easier because... It's early on in the piece. People are going to have different expectations. Then they say, "Well, I've only been here a few months, or it might be." But if you leave that, if you knew that something was happening at month three or month six, and you go to month twelve, exactly, then it's all of a sudden that person says, "Well, I'm still here after twelve months. So why?" And resentment builds over those following nine months, making the exit a lot more difficult. And I think resentment from you as the business owner as well, because what as a business owner you'll take quite personally is that if that if you feel that person is not doing what you've asked them to do, looking after themselves, they're not part of the business. It's really hurtful as the business owner because you are forking out thousands of dollars to pay someone to be in that role, to make sure that they don't have to be the one that has to go out and search for whatever else to get funding, et cetera, et cetera, that they've just, they know that they can get a paycheck every month. Yeah. It hits you hard because you're like, if you're not in it for the right reasons, if you're not here to support me, if you're not here to, to be on that journey and you can't recognize that in yourself, that's even when it's more frustrating as well, like how can you not see that? And how could you do that to me in the first place as well? (laughs) And then it becomes much bigger and much harder. Yeah, exactly. Tim, it's been a fascinating
0: conversation. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing your insights, your experiences, uh, and appreciate you uh, being here with us today. Thank you.